From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Tim Desher, and this is Heritage Explains. Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It's barbaric. We are seeing in real time, real consequences for real people because of Vladimir Putin's decision. It's hell. And while it's important to continue to be vigilant about the devastating consequences of this aspect of war, we wanted to dedicate this episode to another important aspect. You guessed it, China. As most of the world has come together to condemn Russian aggression in Ukraine, China has refused to call it an invasion. In a news conference earlier today, China's foreign minister blamed NATO for pushing Russia-Ukraine tension to a breaking point. Thanks to Biden's policies, Russia and China now form a block against the United States. This was the nightmare scenario, now it's real. Just today, the Chinese foreign minister described Vladimir Putin as China's, quote, most important strategic partner. It was recently reported that U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken turned to Beijing for help, supplying them with U.S. intelligence, and he beseeched them to ask Russia to stand down and not invade Ukraine. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, there's a lot to be concerned about there. But perhaps the main question we should ask is, what would make the Biden administration think China would choose to help us over Russia? Did you know that Russia and China's trade is currently around $150 billion per year, and they have an agreement to grow that number to $250 billion by 2024. China also buys a significant amount of oil, you know, the lifeblood of their economy, from Russia. Did you also know that Russia and China have for years been engaging in joint military exercises and support each other on votes at the UN? I'll ask the question again. What would make the Biden administration think China is going to choose us over Russia? Yeah. To go deeper, we're going to talk with Dean Chang. He's a senior research fellow here at the Heritage Foundation. On this episode, Dean documents the ties between China and Russia, especially with the devastating circumstances currently happening in Ukraine. He makes the case that instead of the U.S. reaching out to a clear foe, we should be strengthening our alliances, friendships, and economic partners around the world. But first, here's Based. Hey, everybody. I'm Hannah Cox. And I'm Brad Palumbo. We're the host of the Base Politics Network, and we want you to join us for our weekly news roundup, The Base Brief. We have no tribe, we pull no punches, and the only team we root for is the free market and individual liberty. On The Base Brief, we work to analyze the impact of public policies, spill the industry tea, and hash out our hot takes. Search Based Politics on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe now. That's B-A-S-E-D Politics. 
Dean, thank you so much for being back with Heritage Explains. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Well, obviously, you know, America has a relationship with China. There's no question. Robust trade, especially. Uh, Yet at the same time, you know, we also consider them, you know, an enemy. Um, You make the point in your recent piece that it's been uncovered that for months before Russia's invasion into Ukraine, the U.S. uh, was basically um, plying the Chinese with U.S. intelligence Uh, indicating that Russia was planning on invading Ukraine and, as you say, uh, beseeched the Chinese to tell Russia not to invade. Now, again, I know we have a relationship, but I don't think it's that kind of a relationship and it works that way. And I don't want to pretend like I know everything, so that's why I'm having you here. Make some sense of this. So the administration has maintained tariffs. It has maintained sanctions over a variety of technologies. We've imposed additional sanctions over issues like Hong Kong and the Uyghurs. So why did they think that Xi would be willing to turn on one of his closer buddies when, in fact, Xi and Putin had even made a joint statement on the eve of the Beijing Olympics. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about, so obviously we have a, and, and, and you mentioned this a little bit, but talk a little bit more about China's relationship with, with Russia when it comes to trade, because we think about our, you know, as we say, the addiction to China, our, you know, going to Walmart and buying Chinese products and, you know, you know, we rely on them for that. But from what my understanding is, and from your piece, it's even deeper with Russia. It's deeper and goes back further. Okay. So for much of the last decade at least, uh, ever since the Russians first went into Ukraine by annexing Crimea in 2014, uh, the EU, the US, much of the West has imposed sanctions. Guess who's picked up the slack? It's been China. Hmm. China has signed deals for Russian natural gas. China has signed deals for Russian timber. Uh, China has also signed deals, interestingly, with the Russians to buy certain weapons because uh, if the Russian factories are going to stay open, they need customers. and. That's mostly China. So new fighter planes, the Su-33 series, uh, the Kilo-class submarines. The Chinese bought a a bunch of additional ones, very advanced surface-to-air missiles. So literally on the eve of this war, several things happened. The Chinese signed contracts for coal, 100 million tons. By the way, that's going to 38 new coal-fired power plants. These are the same kinds of plants that John Kerry is sure that the Chinese will shut down even as they're building new ones. Um, You've got them uh, cutting deals on a variety of other uh, banking and financial instruments. Um, Just a real quick example here, Visa and MasterCard just announced that they were pulling out of Russia. Hmm. Within like 48 hours, Chinese banks with UnionPay and Alipay were stepping in. Now, to give you a sense, you don't buy a house. Yeah. In 48 hours. Yeah. You don't switch a country's credit card system in 48 hours unless there's been a lot of paperwork and a lot of other stuff already done long in advance. It's amazing. And and more than that, even, you talk about, I think it's recent as 2018, they're doing military exercises together. Like thousands of troops are, are interacting with Russia and thousands of Russians are interacting with Chinese. I mean, this is deep. 
Oh, this is very deep. So 2018 was uh, the was a huge one. 35, 30, 3,000 to 3,500 Chinese troops, 900 vehicles, 30 aircraft. Oh, my gosh. But in 2021, August of 2021, Russian troops went to China and did a massive joint exercise. And that one was unique because you actually had on Russian TV – Russian troops coming out the back of Chinese armored personnel carriers. Now, to give you a sense of how radical that is, we don't do that with our NATO allies. Wow. If you take a look at, you know, British troops, they ride into battle in British armored personnel carriers and they come out and fight alongside Germans or Americans. But you don't have German troops coming out the back of British carriers. You don't have American troops, you know, riding into battle in Dutch armored personnel carriers. This was a very deliberate political message. Yeah. Hey, world. Russia, China, militarily, we are close as close can be. Since Russia invaded again, since they invaded Ukraine again, most recently, how has China behaved? What has their behavior been like since they invaded? We were, we were trying to work with them beforehand, but then the invasion happened again. And what has their behavior been like since? It's been fascinatingly mixed. Hmm. So... We see the Chinese foreign ministry spokesperson taking a question from Western journalists about the Russian invasion and lecturing, actually yelling at the reporter saying, that is such a Western term, invasion. <laughs> um, so on the one hand, that's OK. So they're on Russia's side, right? Then they come out at a place like the UN and they abstain on certain votes and they basically say we value sovereignty and territorial integrity, which sounds kind of like they're pro-Ukraine. Then we see them signing this 100 million ton coal deal and lifting wheat import restrictions about Russia. Mm. And that would, again, suggest being on their side. But we're also seeing a lot of Chinese companies, private companies, and they do exist in China, Mm. pulling out or limiting their exposure in Russia. And I would suggest that that is because of the global um, crackdown on international financial transactions, the SWIFT network. Hmm. So we've seen Chinese banks not willing to underwrite that coal deal. We've seen TikTok, a Chinese hmm. company. Yeah. By the way, if it's on your phone, Beijing thanks you. Yeah. Um, basically, <laughs> that's, that's a whole other episode. That's a whole other yeah. <laughs> episode. Um, but TikTok has joined MasterCard and Visa in pulling out. Yeah. Um, so it's a really sort of interesting mixed set of signals Hmm. that the government in Beijing leans clearly towards Putin, but it's not all in. I think that's a very important thing to keep in mind. They are not all in. And I think they are sort of waiting and seeing, particularly because the Russians haven't done well, uh, certainly not done as well as people had expected, but also because people often don't realize that there were significant ties between Ukraine and China. Wow. Ukraine had a bunch of technologies that they were willing to sell the Chinese, Mm. uh, including rocket motors and things like that. And they sold food. And China is a net importer of food. And Ukraine is a huge exporter of grain. And so the Chinese were importing Ukrainian food. So I think for the moment, Beijing sort of waiting and seeing who's going to win Mm. before going more whole hog. I see a lot of mentions about how, you know, because of Russia's war on Ukraine, China might be emboldened uh, in regards to Taiwan. Uh, now, I know that for me and many of our friends listening, that connection is may not be a natural one. I was hoping you could go through that since you did mention that in your piece. Go into that just a little bit more. How does Taiwan, China, Ukraine, Russia, how does that all work together? So part of the 
uh, connection is if Russia succeeds in taking over Ukraine, does that demonstrate Western fecklessness? Does that demonstrate <laughs> Western inability to respond uh, in a way that China is going to say, great, now I know how ineffectual you'd be if I were to take Taiwan? A second piece of this is the more the U.S. and NATO are fixated on Ukraine, hmm. the less of our attention is likely to be in the Western Pacific. Hmm. So there's a potential window of opportunity that opens uh, with regards to if our best air assets, if a lot of our uh, space intelligence assets are all devoted to Europe, we're pr perhaps paying less attention. A hmm. third aspect, which is really sort of interesting, is that Russia pulled a lot of its forces out of Eastern Russia, the forces that normally will be facing China, right. to reinforce the war effort against Ukraine. What that means for China is two things. Their Western flank is relatively safe and secure. But two, if necessary, they could also now pull forces, uh, air force units in particular, missile forces out of Western China, hmm. uh, most likely the northern war zone, which is responsible for facing Russia and also Japan and reallocate them in a anti-Taiwan campaign. Hmm. Uh, the one other thing that I would mention to our readers, and this brings us back to the finance aspect, is that if these financial sanctions and things really cripple Russia's economy, I think the Chinese are, who are, have been trying very hard to establish an alternative parallel system is going to make that the absolute top priority because mm -hmm. the lesson that they will take away from this is before we go and try and take Taiwan, we have to make bulletproof our economy yeah. so no one can impose financial and other sanctions that could hurt us the way we seem to be hurting Moscow. Now, you say in the light of all of this, the U.S. must reprioritize to strengthening ourselves. That is a very loaded statement. What, what? <laughs> You're laughing right now because you know it is. My question is, and this is a loaded question, how do we do that? Well, let's see. Especially about, given what's going on right now. Right. No, because of what's going on right now, let's not spend even more debt. Let's not create even more debt because hmm. the funny thing about defense spending is it's not obligated money. It's not entitled hmm. money. It's not money that the government has to spend no matter what, yeah. unlike debt payments and social security payments and the like. It's discretionary spending. Right. And the bigger the debt, with inflation comes rising interest rates. With rising interest rates means more uh, you know, interest payments. That starts affecting your discretionary spending. Hmm. It means that we are not going to have the money to spend on new weapons if we're going to need them to deter either Russia or China. Hmm. It means that... We, why have we gone from being a net crude oil exporter to returning to being an importer? Maybe we should think about whether all the regulations and cancellations of this administration actually strengthen our own economy hmm. and our own national security. It means that we need to be paying a lot of attention. We've so far dodged a bullet in this war. There hasn't been the global cyber attacks hmm. that everyone had been worried about. You can still go and fill your car or truck at the gas station. Your credit card still works. There was a lot of worry about that. Hmm. But let's not you know, get too ahead of ourselves. 
We've been lucky so far. The Russians have chosen not to do this. This is when we should be really tightening up our own cybersecurity across infrastructure, financial networks, energy networks, communications networks. And then finally, we should be thinking about what we need to do with our allies. It's strengthening us by strengthening our relationships. And I would just suggest that, you know, when this administration truly seems to believe that it is better to get oil from Iran and Venezuela than Texas and North Dakota, yeah. that this is the classic example of not strengthening ourselves. Yeah. Well, Dean, this is actually massive, and, and, and we are really, really grateful for you coming in and uh, explaining them to us in a way that we can then share with other people. So again, thank you for being here. Thanks as always for having me, Tim. And that's it for this episode of Heritage Explains. Thanks so much for continuing to listen to us, continuing to share us with your friends and your family, for rating us five stars, for leaving comments, all of the above that we say every week. We appreciate it. Now, I've gone ahead and linked to Dean's work in the show notes, so head over there if you want more information, and we'll see you on the next episode. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher, with editing by John Pop.